Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, Romeo and Juliet. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. <laughs> Sorry, we mixed up the seating order a bit. <laughs> and just like Romeo and Juliet, we are the greatest love story the world has ever known. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. I, I, th- I think we are, to be honest. It feels like a tragedy waiting to happen yeah. 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 <laughs> something's brewing in the wings there's, there's discontent there's warring families there's factions yeah you know what you're not far off yeah if, if one it, of us is getting poisoned before the night is through <laughs> okay so if you've never heard the show before basically we put a film and we put it on trial it's as simple as that there'll be a whole host of other hilarious shenanigans including a caption contest a quiz some terrible xylophone playing a terrible impression or two and a lot of banter so please stick around if you've never seen Romeo and Juliet before, um, just to say that this episode is going to be particularly spoilerific. They don't need to have seen it if you've I never know. read the play. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what Romeo and Juliet is about, I really question your education. But uh, if, if you haven't seen it for some reason, then you can fast forward to our quiz or just come back at a later date. Uh, but before we kick things off, it, just to say that the last film that we put on trial was The Machinist. And the judge for that was... Joel, mate. So, you should have watched The Machinist in the space of last week and this week, and you're going to tell us now if you think you made the right call by placing it on the hit list. Yeah, I watched it, and I think I made the right call. I think all of Dave's points were very, very valid. Um, Austin also kind of turned out that he enjoyed it as well, so yeah, secretly I, I think everyone just had a good time, obviously, apart from Christine Bailey and Annapolis a day. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, thank you very much for that, Joel. Uh, let's move on to a little bit of news. Hang on. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's that very loud, that, isn't it? Sharp. Yeah. That, okay. yeah. Wait. <laughs> Fucking hell. It's harder yeah, you, than it looks, you got but... it right, but still annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you know, whoever said that the cardigans just basically played really... Poor music, uh, you know. On the phones. On the, on the phone. <laughs> it was Tom uh, Jones, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what we do here is we go around in a circle and we talk about the most newsworthy topics of the week. So without further hesitation, Joel, you've got a little bit of news this week, haven't you? I have. So it turns out Danny Boyle is no longer directing the next James Bond, which is going to be Daniel Craig's last. Don't think it's been confirmed properly, but that is kind of widely believed. Uh, but it's basically down to creative differences, which... Obviously, after the last James Bond, doesn't really sound like it's it's great news. Doesn't really give much detail uh, from who the creative differences were from and between. But yeah, not a good sign, really. I would imagine Danny Boyle would want to take it radically in, a, in his own direction, though. So maybe I mean, it might not be that bad of news because he might have wanted to do something very, very unique and then just leave after one film, which would have sort of left it mm-hmm. in a bit of limbo. So I don't know. I'm not. I, I'm not. It doesn't worry me too much that. Well, I think Daniel Craig's got very um, kind of strong ideas on where the character should be and what he thinks the films and that should involve, doesn't he? I don't... It, maybe, do, it, maybe it's between them two, who, who knows? Did he do that on Spectre? Cause... Uh, well, and I know he was kind of, well, vis- after the film he was kind of visibly unhappy, wasn't he? Obviously. He was just kind of burnt out with it all and that type of stuff. Yeah, because he said he wanted to make a good James Bond film. And <laughs> then... Didn't he say like he'd... he'd, he'd 
what was it? He said he's kill there was some type of quote. Like, yeah, I'd yeah, rather kill smash a glass and slit his wrists than yeah. appear in another James yeah, Bond film. Quite graphic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that I've just thought of the news article a headline for that Bond's boil popped. <laughs> Shall we move on? Who's yeah. got some other Swiftly. news? A <laughs> <laughs> man, it's hard that it looks, man. Uh, everything's hard that it looks these days. Uh, right, so we've also got another piece of news, uh, and it's a little review. So myself, Alex, and Dave went to go and see a screening of Black Klansman last night at The Fact, and there's a little Skype Q&A session with Spike Lee afterwards. Very informative. So what did you think, uh, Alex, your opinions? I really liked the film. I thought it was actually, not only did I like it, I thought it was quite an important film, and I'd really recommend everyone go and see it. It sort of got me a bit fired up. It's about, you know, past issues based on true story, but everything is sort of, it's very political film, and it's definitely got its, its messages about today. So even though it's set in the past... It's definitely talking about how we've almost got to the point we are in today. Very anti-Trump film, which I don't think, after talking, after hearing Spike Lee do his Q&A afterwards, I don't, I don't think he'd disagree with that either. And actually, it made me think that this was the most anti-Trump film I've seen. I mean, it made me think he's been in power for like two years now. And whatever your opinions on Trump, he's very divisive. And you would have thought Hollywood, which is, you know, has come out against him in an award ceremony. I don't think it's actually sacked up and done it in films yet. And it made me think, well, that's, this is the first proper film which I've seen that happening. And I'd like to see it happen a little bit more. So, Yeah, I, I know that The Post came out uh, earlier this year, but I don't think that was as direct as Black Clans. It was very more. subtle, I think. It was subtle, yeah. The Post, yeah. So, Dave, what did you think of the film? Loved it. Absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Brilliant story that I knew very little about. I found out about the uh, the true story behind it um, a little before I went to see the film. But yeah, it's just it's fascinating, really fascinating. And the performances were great. I yeah. thought John David Washington uh, or Denzel Junior, as I knew him before this, I'd never seen him out before. Um, yeah, he was fantastic. Was Absolutely that, fantastic. Are you saying, was that Denzel's son? Yes, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Because I, I, while we were watching it, I was like, I, I'd, I'd heard that it was Denzel's son. I, I didn't think he looked anything like him. Though but there were points where he, he was off camera and he was talking and he's yeah. got the exact same voice man mm, he, yeah, he has yeah. it's eerie oh, yeah, yeah. he sounds like his dad but I'd never seen him perform before so it was uh, he, yeah it was impressive he smashed it Very, but Adam yeah. Driver as well I thought was fantastic was there perfect. was a it's not a nice cameo from Harry Belafonte. It's quite haunting, but having an actor of his gravitas for that short scene yeah, yeah. where he describes these horrific things he witnessed, it was just, yeah, Harry Belafonte, great to see him again. Great performance from him. It was such an unusual film, though, because you sort of, it wasn't, in normal films, if that, if you had that bit with Harry Belafonte and when he's just basically Belafonte, <laughs> Belafonte, <laughs> Belafonte, when Harry Belafonte was talking, and um, it's, it's an extremely harrowing story, like Dave said, and if it was any other film it'd really break the whole tension but the way Spike Lee did it it just slotted in absolutely perfectly and it it just kept building and building and building well he had it interspersed with people watching Birth of a Nation Nation, you know two completely contrasting but that should it was just so well done from from, yeah and it was almost like the way he was showing the clan watching Birth of a Nation it was done in like a comedic way you know they were all Mm. like a sort of like a matinee performance eating popcorn having a laugh but then the way it was it was being played alongside Harry Harry Belafonte um, talking about the, the lynching that he'd attended it was it was sort of like at one moment you were like kind of laughing and then a second later exactly. you were like oh my god this is exactly. so exactly I felt there was a strange comedy that ran all the way through yeah. it and in one scene you'd be absolutely killing yourself laughing and the next scene you'd stop dead and then you'd be laughing again a little bit like it was yeah it was, it was bizarre really I thought the I won't go into too much detail but I thought the ending was 
so poignant. Yeah, yeah. I mm. mean, so throughout the film, there's references to how 1970s and 2018 or 2017 aren't that different. And there's like constant little in jokes, sort of like, oh, can you imagine this happening in 30 years' time? And and the, you know the joke being that yeah, Trump's in power and you know all this stuff that yeah. they're talking about now, which they're saying, you know, it's going to go away soon enough, is actually still happening. And it's almost told in in sort of like a joke. And a fraction of a second later, it's over, and you've moved on to something else. So he kind of keeps on bringing up these points, but then keeps on just brushing them to one side. But then right at the very end. That there's nothing. There's like he kind of leaves you with this final he, message. He, he finally jumps, doesn't he, from the 70s yeah. to present day, and you actually see where it has get, got to from yeah. those beginnings. And yeah, it's not funny. It is honestly. It is. It was just so so powerful and just so emotive. Mm. And uh, yeah, I'd recommend anybody go and watch it. To be honest, absolutely. So yeah, thank you very much for that, guys. Um, I think it's time for a little bit of. I don't know, actually. Get, can, get your can, xylophone <laughs> or your keyboard or whatever it is you're doing. Can you smell that, Ozzy? Oh, you're so close. Um, so close. Balls. So One I can day. smell I can smell that Alex is back. And uh, so, so is the rock. Yeah. And so is the rock. Almost back. <laughs> and now the rock's back as well. So I don't know whether you guys have heard or not, but... Um, Jack Whitehall's been lined up to play a character in his um, in his new movie, and, um, Jungle Cruise. Jungle Cruise, mm-hmm. yeah. So he's going to be playing an, uh, oh, yeah. a gay character in the movie, and, um, and there's been a little bit of backlash just because obviously he's a he's a straight, middle class white or upper class white comedian playing a openly gay uh, character in a film, and people were a bit upset. Thought that maybe they'd have uh, dealt with it differently, and you played you know placed a, a gay actor in a role, but. Yeah, if he does the job well, I don't see what the uh, what the problem is for me. But I think me, me people are more angry about the fact of the characterization. So, so the character description has come out, and it's it's something along the lines of effeminate, camp, and funny. So it's kind of they're talking about a stereotype essentially. So I think what people in the LGBTI community are upset about is the fact that finally Disney is, is taking a progressive stance and it is having an openly gay character in their films for the first time ever. And instead of having somebody from the LGBTI community playing that role, they've gone for a straight white man and essentially they're going to be playing what sounds like a stereotype. But he does fit the role though, doesn't he? If I was going to pick a camp funny, uh, arguably funny character for the role, for effeminate guy he'd probably be jack whitehall one thing that i do think is wrong though is people are fucking angry at jack whitehall himself i don't think it's something that people should attack jack whitehall for it is arguably like a massive role that he's been offered um and you know it could be a a big break for him or whatever like you know and i I think he shouldn't have to say actually no guys you know you should offer this to to this person i think in that industry you do have to look out for number one a bit as well don't you i I think it's coded trolling a little bit it's like kind of acceptable trolling i I just think people are very angry very quickly i kind of agree i agree with what you're saying that yeah it's a a good moment to have a an established and you know a, a gay act to play this i think that would be a good moment but there's also a discussion about it to be had you know, that where people need to talk about it kind of like calmly and openly and just discuss these these issues that are going on. And I think as we saw with Scarlett Johansson when she recently was offered the trans role, she accepted it. And, you know, people went absolutely crazy and were trolling her. 
And then she, you know, and then she stopped doing it and she was still getting trolled. I just think people need to stop getting quite so angry, especially like Joel said, at like, at the people and maybe just then we can have a bit more of a conversation. I yeah, don't think you're wrong. Going just get a discussion about it. Yeah. Let's talk it through. But I can also... Not just get pissed off all the time. Yeah, but I can also understand as well that after like decades of, of no, no change, no progression at all, the same shit is still happening. People are going to be vocal. They're going to be angry. And the fact that, you know, I mean, it's, it's okay for us as like, you know, five straight white guys because we're like constantly represented in every film. Straight-ish. But, <laughs> but if you're... Um, <laughs> It, but if, if you're from the LGBTI community and, you know, you essentially watching a film that it's, it's, a, it's a straight white man playing a gay character, you've seen that time and time again, you'd feel that you aren't being represented. And, you know, I, I do agree with you, though, that it shouldn't be the people that are attacked. I don't think that Scarlett Johansson or Jack Whitehall should be attacked. I mean, I, I, I'd like to give Jack Whitehall credit and assume that he didn't know what the character was, was you know, that he, he, might, he might have known that the character was gay but he didn't see the description you know the breakdown of the character and i think that um, the real people to be upset are with are the are going to be the producers the studio the directors yeah, who yeah, have yeah, made yeah. the decision to overlook credible actors for those roles and instead go for somebody like jack whitehall yeah just to confirm i don't think jack whitehall did i'm pretty sure he was just cast as emily blunt's brother in this and there was no real discussion about anything more about the character and this has been added after his casting they've decided to go down this route with the character so in fairness to him he may not have known another thing that annoys me as well is that i'm pretty sure the film is set in something like the 19th century so i mean it you know that that character wouldn't have been openly gay anyway and it's is that going to be like a, a joke that you know he's 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 gay but he's also got to kind of keep his, his sexuality hidden because of the time that they were living in i mean i i don't know how, how they're going to play it to be honest it's dealt with sometimes oddly in films like in star trek beyond i think it was that or into darkness sulu's comes out as being gay but it's in a very it's in this way that they can oh, like yeah, that's it's they, they don't go full in and say like they don't show him uh having a kiss or they don't show him like you know proper you know having a home life it's like it's in this way of like they can almost plausible deny it yeah, d- yeah. deniability <clears throat> almost so it's like oh he is but just in case that pisses you off he's kind of not as well so uh, yeah on the flip side though this is you know is the rock movie and um the rock handles everything tastefully, so I think it's going to be dealt with um, pretty well overall. So I don't think we've got anything to worry about. That's the, the long and short of it. We're going to hold you to that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, the rock was here. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, if the rock was here, he'd say it doesn't matter what you think. And, uh, get back on with the podcast. That's what he'd say. One day the rock is going to come tumbling down the mountainside. Anyway, I think it's time for a little bit of a film feel. Uh, uh, it's bad. It's bad. I, did, I did hear it. It's good. Di- you had a different fanfare for you, for yourself. No, last time. no, no we silly. wouldn't do that. No, silly. it's good to have you back, anyway, Alex. Thanks. I have missed you. Thanks very much. Uh, so, my one today is: What's your favourite sort of uh, adaptation in a film sense of a classic novel? So, it could be a classic play, like Shakespeare one, or just a classic, just a good adaptation. Could even be a period one. For me, it's Clueless. 
with uh, Alicia Silverstone. You know the one? <laughs> <laughs> I, love I love it. It's I a great you're film. Gonna be like in Heights, or you no, know, no, 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 no. Clueless. Clueless. It's, it's, it's based on Emma, I think. For a man who's so well read, I was not expecting that. Bloody love, bloody love <laughs> Clueless, and it's uh, it's really yeah, it's a fun film, and it sticks to the sticks to the novel, updates it in very interesting, fun ways, and yeah, no, I'm a big fan of it. Anybody else? I don't know. Silence of the Lambs is pretty. I don't know, it's a good book and it's a good film. Oh, right, yeah, so, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think the only film I've seen that was actually better than the book was Shutter Island, which was a really good adaptation. It was a very faithful adaptation of the novel, but I, I insist on reading the book before I see the film. That's why I've, I've not gone around to watching Gone Girl yet, because I've not gone around to reading the book. Yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, I read the book of Shutter Island before I saw the film, and you know what? wish I hadn't. Really? Really do. It, the book brought nothing more to the table than the film, and the film did it yeah. better. But obviously all the spoils have been already ruined for me, so... I, I like how you told me that, then lent me the book, and then I read it, and I had the exact same opinion as you. <laughs> was the, that was the biggest wasted exercise. Should I tell you what's a really weird one? If you've ever read One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Kesey... Yeah, yeah. And then watch the film. It doesn't actually affect it. It's weird. The book's quite different in a Isn't weird it? way from the film. Yeah. And you can enjoy both of them in quite separate ways. It's I have not seen the film. I've read the book and didn't... I'm sure somebody said, isn't it written from somebody else's... Yeah, Chief Bond, the Chief. Yeah, yeah, the mute Chief. Which, which makes it perfect, doesn't it? Makes it way better. I think my favourite one is American Psycho. Oh, God. Because like, I, just, I think the script editor for that film deserves an Oscar to get that much of a credible story and film out of that absolute vat of diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> I, Gigi, you don't, you hate the book, don't you? By Brett Jesus. Yes. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's a bad book. I'd say it's a horrible book. You don't want to read it. It, it messes with your mind, but I don't think it's a bad book. It's just, uh, I, just, a no, 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 book. no. It is a bad book because uh, as well as the horrifying moments, there's also long ass fucking chapters where he's just describing like a Genesis album. <laughs> and you're just like, this but is like, bad. This but, is but bad. But in total detail. <laughs> yeah. Like, in, yeah. In insane no. detail. I, I, I was once on the, so when I was reading American Psycho, I was on the train home from work and it was absolutely busy. It was like around about this time of year, it was sweltering, all the kids had broken up from school. So all the train journeys were just absolutely rammed and there wasn't enough carriages on and you've just thought you cramped like shoulder to shoulder with people and i'm reading the book and it was on a particularly horrible part it was something to do with a rat i can't oh, well, yeah jesus yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and anyway I'm, I'm reading away in there and then i just hear over my shoulder like this little tut right? <laughs> and i turn around and there's this lady who'd been reading the book oh really <laughs> yeah over my shoulder and was talking me judging me on what i was reading and at first off i was a bit embarrassed i was like oh fucking hell you know like this is like the worst part of the book i've read and then i thought how, how dare you you know what i mean <laughs> and it's just a book it's not like i've got yeah. you know my my photo album out and i'm showing in, stuff that i did at the weekend in, in fairness so, thank god I know, <laughs> I, I know which bit you're talking about in that book and like i've still got it's still very vivid in my yeah. mind so if she was just literally like you know on the train just has a little peek over and reads that line you know i can but you know it. it's her own fault for being yeah. so nosy i had that same bit with uh, the sheep pig so <laughs> babe babe yeah <laughs> it's got the sheep pig though in it yeah uh, that is um, very different i'm sorry yeah. i'm in american psycho sh- land <laughs> yeah. and we got to dick king's yeah <laughs> someone somebody read it over my shoulder and just you know just in at me. Oh, right. that wasn't in the film yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh right so Thank you very much, everybody, for that. Uh, moving on to the bulk of the show. Um, as I said earlier, this is Films on Trial, and we take a film and we put it on trial. Uh, the films are picked out of the hat at random, usually. But this week, 
Alex has decided to pick our film for us. Mm-hmm. So he has picked one of his favorite films. Yeah. Would you say? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <A bit hesitant>. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, want to tell us a little bit about this film? Uh, well, it's Romeo and Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann version. It's a bit decisive, which is one of the reasons I want to put it on. I felt like we haven't done a film like this for a little while. Okay. So yeah, no, I'm, 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 up, for, I'm up for discussing it. Okay. So because Alex picked the film, he is going to be the defense and it's going to be trying to get the film placed on the hit list that means that all of the other roles have been randomized so in the role of prosecution is joel and joel is going to be trying to get the film placed on the old shit list in the role of character witnesses are going to be austin and dave and they're going to be lending their genuine opinion trying to throw a little bit of weight behind either side of the argument and that means i'm in the most important role this week and i am going to be playing the role of the judge so i'm going to listen to both arguments and then decide which list the film should be placed on hit or shit based solely on the arguments put to me and not by using my own opinion so without further hesitation i think we need to give the listeners a bit of an idea as to what this film is about and we should probably spin that wheel of impressions Okay, so uh, fortunately, it's landed on yourself, Alex. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, You've so got to translate into rhyming couplets. <laughs> 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 so basically, Alex's job here is to just read out the synopsis of the film, but in the style of a character or actor that we decide. So, who are we going to go with, guys? What about, uh, about Mercutio? I was thinking a uh, bit, bit of a curveball. Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits. Okay. <laughs> do Mark Knopfler. Could just try and do. Could just try and change it to Shakespearean speech, like uh, okay. like Ozzy said. You know? Oh yeah. Oh, oh what about no a, so a mumbling Geordie or <laughs> Shakespearean or a Shakespearean speech? Yeah, yeah. Just read, read out like a Shakespearean actor. Dic- uh, diction, my darling. Diction. Okay. Um, Shakespeare's famous play is updated to the hip modern suburb of Verona, still retaining its original dialogue. Very good. I, but a better than a mumbling Geordie. That's, uh, Shakespeare's famous plays updated. Dylan, isn't it? Okay, well, without further hesitation, I'm going to kick things off and I would like Alex to start. So please, defence when you're ready. I would love to. So a big criticism of this film is that it sort of takes an absolute classic and ruins it. I don't think that's very fair. Uh, you've got to think about the audience for this film. And so what I want to talk about for the first bit is just the production of it and also the actors. So, you know, I, I don't want to talk too much about the story and the script because that doesn't seem quite fair at Shakespeare. So, you know, it's a bit, bit, bit of a classic. When you go and see a Shakespeare, say, in a play or you see a new version of it done... You're looking at the production, you're looking at how they're interpreting it, how they're doing it, and also you're looking at how the actors are doing it, are doing a job as well. So if you wanted an old school Shakespeare, the purest Shakespeare version, there's a beautiful version for that. It's the 1968 Zeffirelli version. It's definitive. It was perfect. Did it absolutely fine. So if you want to see the classic Romeo and Juliet, go and see that film. There would have been no point for Baz Luhrmann to do that here. This is fresh and inventive. It takes on the story and it just explodes onto the screen with originality. So, you know, you could say a lot about this film. You could say you didn't like it. You might not be a cup of tea, but you can't not say that it's not fresh and inventive. You can't say it's not innovative. You can't say it's doing something very different that hasn't hadn't been done before. 
Uh, like I say, it just explodes onto the screen. I, I love the way it begins. It starts with this newscaster that comes in from a telly that slowly zooms in. And uh, she begins the narration. And all of a sudden, you're sort of in this story, but you're thinking it, it throws you off balance already because she's speaking in this Shakespearean language. And you, you, it, from that point on for the first quarter of the film, you're not quite sure what to expect next because it seems to be just playing fast and loose with all of these purist Shakespeare rules. Uh, you've got the quick intro of the main characters. Uh, you know, you've got the, the names on swords, on guns. You've got the fact that they're like talking to each other in this language, but they're also pointing guns. They seem to be kind of acting in this kind of like, almost sometimes it's very flamboyant almost. It's very um, sort of caricature sometimes how, how, how these characters are talking to each other. But it's got this original Shakespearean language and it sort of spins you out for the first part of the film. You, you almost trying to get your head around where Baz Luhrmann's going with it, but it just keeps you going. I think mainly because the um, the character just keeps you going so much. The the sorry the characters the, the 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 setting of it, the adrenaline and the pace just keeps going so quickly that you're constantly wondering at the inventiveness of what's coming up next. So you've got the the set design. So you've got this. It shows many different ve- uh, decades. So you've got like forties, fifties, sixties, seventies. It's not entirely clear when it's actually set. Uh, I think it was filmed in Mexico, but it's called Verona Beach, which is a made-up locale. And um, like I say, the quick camera work here just keeps you going. Just keeps you going. Where am I? What's going on next? And you, you are constantly wondering at the inventiveness. Like the beginning is almost comic, but it finally slows down when Romeo and Juliet meet for the first time. So you've got this tonal shift at that point when you've got the production established, you've got these rules about how they talk, how they fight, what's going on, and now you you go into the more iconic Shakespearean moments. You're ready to then immerse yourself into the world that Baz Luhrmann's shown you. Like, with all of this originality, with all of this inventiveness, you need an amazing cast to back it up. And this film, luckily, they got the casting absolutely perfect on it. You know, when you're looking at Shakespeare, one of the things you are really, more than maybe other films, other theatre, you're looking to see how those characters are taken on those roles. Claire Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio, I think, are fantastic in this. Firstly, I know it's a little bit shallow, but they both look very good. They're young, they're beautiful, and they're very, they look innocent, both of them. But they both deliver the lines well, which is not easy when you're delivering lines like Romeo, Romeo, where for art my Romeo. It, you know, you could say it's a little easy. The script is there for them. But actually, you can't mess that up. It's so easy, actually, that when you're doing that scene, you've got to know what you're doing. You've got to bring your A game. Because if you don't do that line right, then people are going to be all over you for it. So, And, and I think in this film, Claire Danes is particularly good. I really enjoyed her Juliet in this film. I think she lends a certain strength to the character that is often in some other production. She's quite weak and passive. And I think, yeah, I think, I think especially in the pool scene, you can see that she does it in, a, in, in quite a different way. You've also got a fantastic uh, supporting cast as well. You've got John Leguiziano, perfect take on Tybalt with his sort of unreasoning violence and his, this sort of theatrical. I think he, because in the, in the original film, uh, no, in, the, in the original play, Tybalt's kind of like theatrical when he's doing his sword fighting in the original play. And John Leguiziano apparently like, choreographed with a flamenco dancer to put that into his gunplay work you know it's just a it's a nice little touch i won't go on for too much longer but just to carry on with the cast you've got harold uh Pirino, who's a fantastic mercutio you can't say it's not original you might disagree people purists might have gone i can't believe mercutio's in drag doing a kind of rock song with shakespearean lyrics but that is an original thing for mercutio to be doing it's very very interesting pete postlethwaite is perfect as that 
voice of reason. He also, with the shakes, with his act, he's got the acting chops to deliver the language as well. I think he actually does it in the, is it iambic pentameter? Yeah. Yeah, that's so he actually delivers his lines in that. We've also got uh, Von de Curtis Hall, who's fantastic as the the voice of order, and in just loads of others. You've got Dash Mihawk, who's a, a very great bon- Benvolio kind of thick, plays it a little bit thick. You've got the the nurse, I think Miriam Margoyles, a uh, fantastic comic turn. So you've got this incredible production, and you've got really good actors. So you've you've got Shakespeare. It's not the purest Shakespeare. But this is a fresh, inventive Shakespeare and it's ready for a 21st century audience. That's brilliant. Thank you very much, Alex. I mean, I, I didn't write pretty much anything you said at the end there because <laughs> I was just having I was just having so much difficulty writing John Leguizamo, Harold Perrineau, Pete Pothelswaite and Mar- uh, Miriam Margulies. It was yeah. just like, fucking hell, I've never had to write any of those names before. <laughs> just, <laughs> I, mean, I just wrote a bit in like, those actors are in it. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, Joel, how would you like to counter that? Um, so, uh, modern settings for Shakespeare isn't a new idea. Um, although, obviously, well, I, I don't know for sure, but I think this is the first time it was done for Romeo and Juliet. It, it just seems like a gimmick here. And Alex says you've got to think about the audience, and it, this is one of the v- very first things that I actually wrote. For me, the film fails on both both fronts. It kind of will dismay any lover of Shakespeare, and it'll also kind of bore those who are kind of drawn in by the modern side of it, or, you know, like guns, gangs, that type of thing. And the opening scene, it kind of tells you everything you need to know. The freeze frames with the name tags, and then they're kind of flying through the air, kind of, you know, Max Payne style with guns, and it's just quick cut after quick cut. And I know how much you love the uh, the, the old quick cuts there, Gab. Um, oh. I, I was tempted... <laughs> speaking to me, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was tempted to turn it off at that point because it, it was so comedic and just over the top. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people did. With an opening sequence like that, it just... It sets the film up for for a fall, really. It doesn't really matter how good the rest of the film is when you've got an opening sequence, which is so ridiculous, especially when you're considering you're, you're sitting down to watch a, you know, kind of a Shakespeare play. And Lerman's one innovation here is to take kind of other people's ideas and just exaggerate them until they become obvious and stupid. He takes, for example, the convention that Romeo's friend Mercutio is secretly gay and he turns him into this flamboyant drag queen. So all kind of the tension of repression and kind of, you know, bittersweetness of unrequited love or whatever, it just all goes out the window in, in that moment. And kind of what's left is just this guy in a, in a dress and a white wig singing rock songs at, at the Capulet's Ball. And, and it, it really did kind of blow my mind to, to the point where, you know, I was just completely taken out the, out the story here that is meant to be kind of like a classic love story. And the updating also kind of makes for a lot of awkwardness. Swords, sorry, obviously work very differently than guns. Police captains obviously are not allowed to exile people. Uh, But the biggest effect is probably on Romeo and Juliet, who just, they do not translate into a modern setting at all. Modern teenagers would not do the things that they do in this movie. They wouldn't want to get married after kissing three times. They more than likely, a bit of a generalisation here, but they more than likely wouldn't be virgins. And if you update the setting, you should update the characters' personalities to fit in with the modern world. And I think this is supposed to be the 90s. Alex says he's not sure, I'm not sure, but I think it is. Uh, But either way, the characters themselves aren't updated. They are the same characters, essentially, from, uh, from the original play. The big moments are all still here, but they're all neutered. 
the balcony scene takes place by a swimming pool, which for me was was a very weird take as well. Uh, the death scenes, which I thought would be the most powerful, they are very laughable. Like, Romeo, he goes to drink the poison, and it kind of looks to me like it's knocked away at the very last second. And not only that, but she opens... Sorry, Julia opens her eyes a good few seconds before he actually drinks it. And he actually says something like, here's to engross in death or something like that. And she is staring at him in the face, and yet she does nothing um and then, then to be fair to, to dicaprio the look on his face as he realizes she's alive is you know it, it's great like it's acting at his finest but it's probably because he's fucking fuming that she didn't stop him drinking it <laughs> <laughs> i am fucking fuming. you better blow your brains out I'm fucking pissed off and then well yeah so she does shoot herself but it's just so it's just not dramatic at all and then obviously you don't see any blood but then they kind of zoom in for a close-up of the two uh you know lovers kind of dead and the blood is just like there's just tiny little speckles and for me it was just like either show blood and show the gore how how it would be if someone blew the brains out or just don't do it at all (laughs) it's a minor annoyance but it's still um it's still a valid point and there's this kind of also this kind of roman catholic environment in modern times which also kind of seems to suggest that their love is almost spiritual, but it just kind of, again, feels like this cheap gimmick to get you to support them. Um, And yeah, far from proving the kind of timelessness of the story, Romeo and Juliet, it's got the opposite effect. If at all, it works like a kind of two-hour treatise suggesting that Shakespeare's play is irrelevant, that the emotions he wrote could never be duplicated in today's world, and that is... That is pretty much how this film comes across. But just one closing point, I just want to touch on the soundtrack to this film, and it's absolutely mind-blowing. So it's modern songs with modern lyrics. They go through nearly every scene in the movie, and it just kind of makes the Elizabethan dialogue just sound completely jarring. There's this bit where Father Lawrence is inspired to help Romeo and Juliet get married, and he hears the church choir singing princes when doves cry. And it's just uh, like... (laughs) Uh, we kind of had a conversation uh, off podcast about moments in films that aren't meant to be funny, but I end up laughing at, and that was actually one of them. Uh, the soundtrack just completely takes you out of everything that this film is meant to, uh, you know, draw you into. Okay, thank you very, very much for that, Joel. Um, I, I will like to say that uh, uh, modern retelling of Romeo and Juliet that you missed out there was West Side Story. That was, that was a bit before 1996. Sorry, I'm just getting pedantic. Uh, Alex, I can see you furiously scribbling away at your notes there. It was, was just drawing you... pictures of me. <laughs> Are they flattering pictures, John? I can see he's written the word dickhead in capital letter. That, that's, that one's uh, true. And that uh, is a very large... Uh, <laughs> so, Alex, would you like to rebut any of those? Uh, yeah, just quickly. No, 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 nothing too big. Uh, just when Joel was saying about, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, if it's old, it should be updated into new and you should update the characters. I don't think it is, like... I think... Baz Luhrmann has made his own production, so it's a bit timeless. Obviously, it's further on than when the original play was set, but I don't think it's got its own rules. It's not playing. It doesn't need to be... You're not thinking of them as modern-day people. You're thinking of them in this setting, in this Verona beach, which is made up as well. So I, I think, actually, you're not too bothered about it having to be updated. And, and, and you know, when Joel said about the the they're not being an audience because the modern audience wouldn't like it. I completely disagree. I I think this brought Shakespeare's language. It did a fantastic service to Shakespeare by keeping his language in. That was a very strange and brave decision that they took when they left that. And I think actually I found myself 
enjoying Shakespeare's language in this film. And I am not, I know this makes me sound like a bit of an idiot, I'm not a massive fan of Shakespeare in his in his personal, not that I don't think he's good, I don't quite get it. Like, I, it's not my thing, I find it quite difficult to key into his language. In this film I actually found I did. So for me, it, it did actually do a service in bringing Shakespeare's language, you know, updating it where I could actually get into it a little bit. Okay, thank you very much for that, Alex. Okay, so I'm just going to pass it over to the character witnesses there. Okay, so Alex said that um, this... It's, a load of shit, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, that's what I've got written down here. Alex said, a load of shit. Um, Alex said that the cast was phenomenal, to be honest. Um, they delivered Shakespeare's words uh, with with the sort of um, performance that was required of them. You know, they needed to know what they meant, and they did. The set design is absolutely beautiful. The version is fresh and inventive, and it brought Shakespeare's language to a modern audience so they could appreciate it. Joel says that it just wasn't enough for Shakespeare lovers, nor enough for regular dullards like myself. Uh, it was too exaggerated. Mercutio was a bit of a stereotype. The death scenes should be powerful, but they're instead a bit laughable. And that they, they updated the setting, but they didn't update the characters, so there was still this sort of childish love in a 20th century background drop so austin to be or not to be what do you reckon that is the question mate that is the question um i was gonna do the rest of it but i, I, I realized I, I very quickly realized i didn't know it so, um, i think um, alex is not alone here yeah. um I, I don't know i see a little bit on both sides to be fair um when i when you know the opening scenes i didn't I totally forgotten. I'd seen probably just that opening scene before, and I forgot that it was it was the original words, and um, and it took me aback a little bit, you know. And I was like, "Oh, what's going on here? Am I really going to get into this?" But after a while, the same as when you go to watch a play, you get into it, you get into the rhythm, you get into the, you know, it, it just starts working with it, and, and you don't mind it after after too long. I see what Joel's saying is that yeah, the characters, it, it's a little jarring, but. It's artistic, I think, and that's kind of kind of works. Is that you can see what they're doing is they are they've updated the visuals while trying to keep the um, trying to keep the, the the script as it was. So I, I don't mind it. To be honest with you, I think I'm more in Alex's camp on this side um, for that. To be fair, so in that sense, to be. <laughs> Thank you very much, Austin, uh, <laughs> Captain Dave. What do you reckon? Um, yeah, I see. I see where Alex is coming from, but I don't think the film was altogether that inventive like you said romeo and juliet has been adapted before and it's been modernized before um and i think a lot of shakespeare plays have it i understand what alex is saying about how it it uh, resonated with you more seeing the words performed but i think if you're just reading a shakespeare play you don't get the same impact seeing the words being spoken and acted to you is always going to convey it more because that's how it was meant to be delivered mm. to you in the first instance so i think if you sat down and watched a shakespeare play or any adaptation of shakespeare's uh, work where they keep his his uh, words and his speeches intact, you're going to get that understanding. You're going to get that connection. Ooh, I disagree with that. Okay. No, sorry. sorry, sorry <laughs> you, you may do so. <laughs> um, um, on the, as far as performances go, I think Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes are all right. They do pretty well. I think most of the cast are all right. I don't think there's anyone bad. I think everyone's all right. I'd say Pete Postlethwaite, Alex is right. Nailed it. Of course, you'd expect that from him. And I've got to say, I, I thought Harold Perenno was great. I thought he gave a really good performance. I thought it was solid. Different way of looking at the character, I'll give you that. Um, but no, I thought he gave a good performance. Uh, but I think Joel did hit on a key word, gimmick, was said at some point. And I do think for all Baz Luhrmann's flair and style, and he is stylish and he does have a lot of flair, after the first 20 minutes or so, it does feel a little bit gimmicky. 
Not so that it takes you out of the moment or jars it too much, but it does it does feel that way a bit. Thank you very much. I was going to introduce you by doing another Shakespeare quote, but I realised that I'm in the same camp as Austin. And I, was, I was going to say, uh, so uh, Dave, um, a country for your horse? <laughs> Didn't really fit oh, as well. You should have. Alex could have said et too, David. <laughs> okay, so second point here, guys. Joel, I'm going to start with you first. What would you like to discuss? Um, well, in this in, in this one, I'm going to discuss uh, the performances a little bit more. So, um, DiCaprio and Danes, for me, they both sounded uncomfortable saying their lines. They almost had a strained look on their face, I feel like, when the, when they spoke it. Much of the dialogue is kind of shouted unintelligibly, uh, while the rest is kind of recited almost dutifully, as if it's kind of like a high school production. Um, and obviously, both of them are very talented young actors and, and they've both gone on to to prove that in their later career but at this point i feel like they were in f- over their heads basically there's a way to speak shakespeare's language so that it can be heard and understood something which kind of both alex and dave touched on really and these guys haven't mastered it at least not at this point uh john luigi Amo. Uh, as Tybalt. Luigi Amo. Luigi Amo. <laughs> <laughs> You've just got Luigi in your head from Mario. John Luigi Amo. John Luigi. It'd be fucking better if he was Luigi. Um, he, he, as I said, he's a caricature. Uh, Paul Savino, as the head of the Capulet family, is just completely over the top as well. He's got this really ridiculous Hispanic accent. Very, very, like, very generic and there are many other familiar faces which have little to do besides Scowl. Um, Brian Denai, is it? Denai? Denai? Denai. Yeah, Denai. Denai. Uh, and uh, Emmett Walsh are, are both pretty terrible, and those guys just pretty much do nothing. Uh, like, I'm holding Dave back. I'm holding them, <laughs> holding them back. Calm down, Dave. Uh, and, and basically, like too many movies these days, really, you kind of end up wishing the director would devote as much time to developing the characters and telling a compelling story as he does setting up kind of fancy camera shops and working in the editing room and uh, kind of getting all the music and things like that to 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 fit in with the uh, you know to fit in with the actual reimagining of, of Romeo and Juliet and just kind of a final point to touch on is something that which I did very briefly touch on in my first argument kind of all the the big scenes which are here they end up just being very very underwhelming. Um, the death scenes which are mentioned, the scene by the pool, which is kind of like the famous balcony scene. You're kind of almost waiting for that scene to come up because it's pretty much the scene that everybody knows. Obviously, everyone knows how Romeo and Juliet ends, but I think that is, you know, the scene which is parodied time and time again in comedies and that type of thing. And just the way it's done here, um, very, very gimmicky. And he he almost kind of felt like he he was making a point like this is... You know, this is modern times. This is how I'm going to do it. Uh, so overall, I just th- felt like it was, um, you know, very disjointed. And uh, like I say, it just takes you out of that story. And it, it's such a big deal to be engrossed in in Shakespeare. Okay, thank you very much for that, Joel. Alex, how would you like to counter those arguments? Uh, just to talk about, you know, and I know Joel and Dave picked up on it, you know, the, the sort of gimmick side of it. The first 20 minutes are unusual and you could say it's not your cup of tea it is a different way of introducing Shakespeare I think it is inventive though I think it is different it's definitely Baz Luhrmann's own style of doing it and I I, like I did like it I really did I could see how people wouldn't but it's 
I think what Baz Luhrmann was going for there is he's starting it off as a comedy because you know Romeo and Juliet is classically, everyone knows it's a pretty depressing story and it's going to be very tragic all the way through. So I think he wanted to start have these comic elements to start it off with and also to sort of startle the audience so he never quite knew where it was all going to land. However, there is, after about 20 minutes, there is a tonal shift when that stops happening. So it's not like that, definitely not like that all the way through. And I also think there's a good reason why Baz Luhrmann did it. And that's when they start using these iconic scenes. And I could not disagree with Joel Moore. They completely land those iconic scenes in the sense of you can still remember them today. You know, this is a film from 96. It's 22 years ago. And when people talk about Romeo and Juliet, they are talking, you know, those images of the costumes they're wearing when they meet for the first time. I thought it was fucking brilliant because they actually meet in a toilet right which is this that's where they that he she's on one side she's on the other and there's a guy pissing in the background right which is not the normal way that romeo and juliet meet you know that's quite an odd way for baz Luhrmann to decide his main two characters are going to meet but they meet through that fish tank scene now that is iconic in cinema you know that is a very famous shot when they both look at each other for the first time she he goes down and sees her eye through it that is it's a it's it's a very it's famous for a reason and then, was it la- shit? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's famous for being shit. Yeah. Uh, then later on, they're out in the pool, and um, I think it's. I, I, I thought that scene was very interesting. In fact, when um, you know she's saying Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? There was a different spin they were putting on it. You know, when he when he's saying like, uh, "Come back," you know, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing Shakespeare here. But I, like, is that is that all the satisfaction I can have? And she says, "What satisfaction do you think I can give you?" Which made me think, "Oh shit, that's what they're talking about," you know, <laughs> like you know, and and she says, uh, "You know, I'm, uh, you're not, you can't use me. We need to get married." And it it made so a lot nice more. To see you've grown up. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it, you know that scene was done really, really well. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, there's also a scene later, the death of Mercutio. I thought Harold. Perrineau brings it to a completely new level. Yeah, you know, he's a drag artist. I never really was thinking about his sexuality with it, to be honest. I wasn't... I think it's interesting that Joel says there's a sort of a relationship between him and Romeo. I honestly just thought they were friends. I didn't actually pick up on that at all. And I also thought it's a fancy dress party. He's gone dressed. I didn't... I don't know if he is a drag artist. I don't know if it's important. It's just an interesting way of doing the character. And his death scene, when he's shouting, a plague on both your houses... It's very well done. And the campness stops then. John Leguizamo, that, that, the campness stops then. Yes, he's got the flamenco gunfighting, which is a bit flamboyant. But at that point in the scene, now everyone brings the serious acting to it and it's done really, really well. The death of Romeo and Juliet, which is what the whole film's leading up to, is done fantastically well. I just think it's brilliant. The way it um, echoes throughout the entire film, so almost at the beginning, you see... When he's talking, Romeo talks about like the sense of foreboding he has about the night that they're going to go on and where it's going to lead to. And he's walking down the church. So all the way through, this film is building up to this. You know, no, he's, Baz Luhrmann knows, everyone knows how this is going to end. He's got to tell a story where everyone knows the two main characters are going to die and yet keep it very, you know, in, in depth. I think it's done fantastically well. And like Joel, I think Joel mentioned it before when, you know, he, when he takes the poison and her, her eyes open and then her hand, there's a sequence of about three or four different shots that are done beautifully well. They're really, really well done. And, you know, the, the, I just think that death scene is absolutely fantastic. I, I, I'm surprised to hear that Joel didn't enjoy it. Those iconic scenes were absolutely smashed. So you've got this film that's got its own way of doing things and yet it's keeping... The, those scenes that needed to be done well, it's keeping them done fantastically. 
Thank you very much for that, Alex. Um, Austin, Captain Dave, anything else that you would like to add as character witnesses? Um, I mean, is there anything that you need clarifying? Is there anything you want us to actually talk about? Mm, not really, to be honest. I mean, I don't well, think that you'd you be then. able to add anything. <laughs> 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 no, uh, uh, Captain Dave, um, anything about the characters there? I know I could see your blood boiling when it all said Brian Dennehy and Emma uh, Walsh for shit. I'm, I'm not too passionate about either of them. I'll let Joel off. I'll let him live on this one. Um, no, it's, it's, I see what Alex is saying. Baz Luhrmann has a hell of a distinctive style. He's really got flair for this sort of thing. Um, but I'll just say, it, all that glistens is not gold. And that is another Shakespeare I know, quote. well done, well done, man. <laughs> but he is stylish, there's no denying that. We've Shakespeared the shit out of this one, so... <laughs> Until we said that. <laughs> <laughs> is that a dagger I see before me? That you've just placed in Alex's back? <laughs> Hell is empty, all the devils are here. <laughs> anyway, right, okay. Uh, English lit's really coming back to <laughs> There you go, Mr Higgins, you said that we'd never use this in later life. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I think you guys have got a minute to wrap up your arguments and have some closing statements so alex you can go first and your minute begins now it's not an easy thing to make shakespeare fresh and new there's been so many different productions on it they managed to do it here i don't i don't i haven't seen many productions of shakespeare that have done this it is new it is inventive and it brought shakespeare to a much wider younger audience it's got superb acting and the main key for me in this is you know how this film is going to end from the moment it begins. And yet it still made me care. I was still there at the scene when Romeo's walking up the aisle and you're still thinking, just wake up, just wake up. You know, I'm still thinking like, come on, no, it, it, it doesn't have to happen. You know it's going to happen. You still care and you still desperately want it not to happen, which is a sign of a fantastic adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Okay, thank you very much, Alex. Uh, Joel, okay, mate, your minute starts uh, now. This is like a crossover between Rush Hour and a fake love story. But the the action scenes are just so completely uh, terrible and just off the whole setting that it will blow your mind, and it'll blow your mind in such a way that you won't want to watch the rest of the film. If you want to go and see Romeo and Juliet... Go and watch your local production of it. Support your local theatre. Whatever. Don't support this bag of shit. Support. When was the last time you supported your local theatre? I went to see Gav uh, perform at least three or four times. I was, yeah. was going to say, he had a front row ticket for when his local yeah, theatre put on a production of Rush Hour. <laughs> <laughs> To be, to be fair, though, who wouldn't want to go and see an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet starring Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker? <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Austin, right, so uh, it, it, the, the one that we recorded last week was yeah, The yeah. Meg, uh, although it was released a few weeks ago. Austin was supposed to do the quiz, and we we told him during the episode, we were like, oh yeah, we're looking forward to your quiz now, and he was like, oh shit, I haven't written one, so we <laughs> had to kind of create one on the spot. So anyway, he said, don't worry guys, I'll do the quiz next week, I'm really sorry that i didn't do one i'll put in a lot of effort so he arrives tonight and we say really looking forward to your quiz mate <laughs> turns out he didn't write one again <laughs> no but i've just been inspired by all of the shakespeare quotes that <laughs> have, right, uh, okay. have come out so he uh, is a very quick quiz um been researching sharks all week yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's yeah it's about 
Met the Megalodon again. <laughs> it's a quiz just on sulfur whatever it was. No, seriously though, here is a very quick quiz and I want you to tell me, is this a Shakespeare quote or a hip-hop quote? Or a hip-hop quote? Yeah. Interesting. The quiz for Lord of the Rings the other day. Oh yeah? What's it called? Balls deep or helms deep. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and on that note, this one's actually called Big Willy. Or Big Willie, and it's uh, it's right. Hip-hop That's or probably the best quiz title I've ever heard. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, well, second, so, yeah. Best, second best fantastic. after Helms Depot balls. Deep. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, I feel like I've paled into significance. <laughs> anyway, quote one: To destroy the beauty from which one came. Shakespeare. 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 Hip hop. Joel is correct. That is Jay Z. That yeah. is hip hop. Oh, no. Number two: Maybe it's hatred I spew. Maybe it's food for the spirit. Shakespeare. 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 That is hip-hop. That is Eminem. Ooh. Oh, oh no. I see where he's going with this. Yeah. Men would rather use their broken records than their bare hands. Hip-hop. Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Hip-hop. That is Shakespeare. That's yeah. From nice. That's from Othello. Exactly. I knew yeah, that. You thought you did. I was not himself. born <laughs> under a rhyming planet. He's just there, yeah. just mixing the desks before he brings out the, uh, the skull. <laughs> It's Othello, isn't it? Where's the skull? No. <laughs> what happens in Othello? Um, he gets fucked over by his uh, former best friend. That's quite a synopsis. You, you know, this is how bad I thought Othello was a character in Hamlet. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've just learned something new. You're thinking of Ophelia, mate. I probably, probably am. Is Othello the... Um, did uh, What's-His-Face do it? Scottish Lenny Henry. No. Lawrence Olivier. No. no uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Doctor Who, man, Scottish guy. David Tennant didn't David play Tennant. Othello, no. He was Hamlet. He's on Hamlet. Yeah. Benedict Hunt. Benedict Hunt. None of these white actors played the black character of Othello, although Lawrence Olivier did in like a 1952 production of Othello. Okay, I don't know what Othello is at all. Okay, (laughs) next one. Isn't it a game? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, please, please move on. Please move on. Um, It is. Did did we do the rhyming planet? Did I tell you the answer to rhyming? No, No, you don't have an answer yet. Uh, I was not born (laughs) under a rhyming planet. Uh, Hip hop. Uh, Othello. Shakespeare, Shakespeare, Shakespeare as well. Uh, Hip hop. Well, that was Shakespeare. That was Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah, eat that. Um, the most benevolent king communicates through your dreams. Shakespeare. Hip hop. Hip hop. Hip hop. That is the Wu Tang Clan. Yeah. Nice. yeah. <laughs> and finally, Socrates' philosophy hypotheses cannot define me. Hip hop. That's got to be hip hop, aren't it? Hip hop. Hip hop. That is also the Wu Tang Clan. Yeah. <laughs> and when we were talking there about uh, Big Willie, I did uh, see that, and it's quite quite an amusing little web page where people have rewritten pop songs in the style of Shakespeare. So I'd just like to leave you with this one. This was uh, from Western Philadelphia, I hail, where in my youth I'd play upon the green. Till rue the day I found myself assailed by ruffians contemptible and mean. <laughs> and obviously it goes on from there and it's pretty yeah, brilliant. So. That's brilliant. Right, well, thank you very much for that, Austin. No it was actually all right. It was better than I thought it was going to be right up until the start of the quiz. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. it was Good better than how many teeth did, did that shark have. <laughs> yeah, I, made, I made that figure up as well. Did you? I, I didn't have any questions. Oh, <laughs> no, just... no, to, to be honest, well, you know, you've got away with it because nobody's got in touch with us to no. question your science there. No, but funny. then again, it was featured in an episode of The Meg where <laughs> science is questionable. Anyway, uh, so moving on. Uh, thank you very much for your arguments, guys. It's been a really tough one to be 
be honest. Um, I agree with a lot of, of what you've said, both of you. Um, I, I I watched this film when it came out when I think it was about eight, and I absolutely hated it. To be fair, but that's because my cousin forced me to watch it and then listen to the soundtrack on repeat, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> I, it was it was a bad bad time. I always wondered what had happened in your childhood. You're <laughs> <laughs> such an angry yeah. angry man. I was going to say that's why I'm emotionally dead. I can watch all sorts of horror films because of that one moment. Um, the, the cast you both seem to disagree, but the character witnesses uh, sort of supported the fact that the spawn cast was. was pretty good maybe it was a bit questionable about DiCaprio and Danes Alex I did like your um your, your statement there where you mentioned about the fact is these, these are iconic lines and if you deliver them wrong then people are going to know instantly and the fact that you need to know exactly what you're saying so you need to you know have the emotions and the and, and the depth behind those lines um Joel I mean you mentioned several times that you just thought it was a bit gimmicky and the fact it wasn't very defined it wasn't enough for Shakespeare lovers to like or just kind of um, non-Shakespeare lovers to like either and you thought you know, some of it was kind of overdone and a bit glittery and a bit sort of just a bit try hard essentially uh, but Alex I mean you did mention that you thought um, that it kind of brought Shakespeare to the modern the modern day uh, Joel you argued that it wasn't done very well but the fact is is that it was brought to the modern day and I think at the time it was an iconic film and I, I mean I, I can remember vividly that moment being locked in a room but I also remember the fact <laughs> that every... fucking watch it <laughs> no please don't <laughs> but I also remember the fact that absolutely everybody was talking about it and everybody loved it for, for years to come afterwards and then it sort of kind of brought Shakespeare or, uh, or, or Romeo and Juliet anyway to the attention of people who ordinarily wouldn't be reading Shakespeare or watching Romeo and Juliet and for the fact that it did that and it did it in such an inventive and fresh new way I think we're going to place it on the hit list so so yeah thank you very much there guys Uh, very good arguments Uh, genuine opinions Alex I mean obviously you really like this because you asked to be put put on the the shit list are you happy with the verdict uh, to be honest I wanted it on the hit list before I'd seen it again and it was more just because I thought it was kind of a good bit of a marmite film and uh, it's an interesting one as well because you know it's a classic and yet also a romance which I don't think we've done a lot on the podcast but I haven't watched it again I only watched it about an hour before I came here and I really enjoyed it so I was kind of made up that I was defending it and really enjoyed it at the same time so no, I, I really liked it I think I know what like the main thing I agreed with what with what Joel and the rest of them were saying was like that first 15 to 20 minutes it's a bit touch and go it's a little touch and go where you just like not sure i'm into this not sure i'm really going for this baz luhrmann's kind of gone just full pelt and it's just it threatens to balance to up tip the car a little bit and it might all fall over and not go very well but i think he brings it back so i do agree with what they were saying about the opening that's good thank you very much joel genuine opinion uh it's the first time i'd seen it to be honest and uh I think it's a movie of two halves. Like, I wouldn't say it's the first 20 minutes. I'd say it's like the first hour that is just absolute shite. (laughs) Uh, When people start dying, then shit gets good. (laughs) After that, it does bring it back, but I was disappointed in the death scenes. Um, I do think that they were pretty poorly done, to be honest. But um, I probably won't watch it again, as I've said a lot of times, but it's not terrible. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, well, let's play a little game of higher or lower. So, IMTB score. Um, we're going to say if it's higher or lower than a previous film that we put on trial, which was The Machinist, which scored 7.7 out of 10 on IMTB. So, Alex, higher or lower? I'm going to say um, higher. Higher? It's 7.9. If it's 7.9, I would drink some fucking poison. 
It, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go for 6.4. Fuck. Okay, I'll see. If, if it's as high as that, I'm going to blow my brain. <laughs> Seriously, I think, it's high. I think it's probably better. I'm going to say 6.7. 6.7. Yeah. Okay. If it's as high as that, I'm going to die quietly off stage <laughs> <laughs> and come back recast as someone else. Uh, I'm going to say lower. Lower? Okay. Uh, well, yeah, most of you are right, apart from Alex. I don't think that means you've got to go and kill yourself, though. Um, <laughs> I'm the only one who did. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do have a shitload of poison just <laughs> knocking around here. Okay, yeah, it was lower. It was 6.8 out of 10. Oh. Yeah. Did uh, they get on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, I don't know. Don't make me look up because I've got too much shitloads on my phone. Anyway, but moving on uh, to the final thing that we want to discuss here, the caption contest. So every week I take a screenshot of the film and I put it on Twitter and I ask our friends and followers to provide a caption with the winner winning a chocolatey frog-shaped treat. A nice Freddo there. So this week I have taken the screenshot of Mercutio reaching inside um, Romeo's jacket to pull out his gun, it looks like. Um... Leo's looking a bit shocked. Mercutio's not looking happy. So I've asked our friends and followers to create some captions. You guys have just got to vote which one you think is the funniest. Starting with, I told you not to wear that ridiculous tie. You can deal with this yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, time to pull out the big guns. Mm. Number three, Toby Maguire is hiding behind that garbage can. I got him, Leo. I like that. Uh, The next one, hands off Juliet. He's mine. Uh, The next one, you just keep your eye on that spider. I'll handle the rest. (laughs) Uh, The next one is, come on, Leo. It's only Kirk Cameron. He's not worth it. (laughs) Uh, The next one, my gun was lost, but now it's found. Oh, sorry, lost, as in like Howard Perrineau was in Lost Uh, as well. Okay. Uh, Oh, his nip is hard. Um, uh, Mercutio, excuse me, I need to borrow this. Um, next one is you're dating hair. Uh, hold this for me. My mom said I'm not allowed to play with guns. Um, he did not. He did not just call my mom a fat. Give me your piece. Uh, the next one is office pop hashtag the other guys. So, oh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, right, um, and then the last one is dude. He just said pineapple goes on pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I'd give it the Kirk Cameron one. But. Oh, yeah, mm. oh, right. So that's three different ones. Joel, decide and vote, mate. I'm going to go with the uh, Toby Maguire one. Toby <laughs> Maguire. Okay. So, uh, well done to two guys on Friday podcast. You've just won yourselves a delicious Freddo. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but the frog just always like underwhelms me. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so, just before we call things um, to an end here, Alex, I think it's your turn to talk about a podcast that you've been listening to this oh, yeah. week. Yeah. So, I actually listened to a one called Mike, Mike, and Oscar. It's a really, really good one. Uh, it's basically just two guys talking about films, but they sort of like, they re-rank things, they really go through it, they look at it in a lot of depth. They're really, really funny. Uh, definitely, I would, worth checking out. My I, The episode I listened to was they were re-ranking all the, all the best bits out of Mission Impossible. So they went through and said, what's the best bank heist Bank heist happens at some point in all the films. They went and ranked them. Oh, and right, honestly, every, yeah, okay. you could just hear them talk about it for absolutely, yeah, for for, for, for hours. So, yeah, so definitely worth checking out. Who's Oscar? No, the Oscars. So that's oh, the sort okay. of the premise. So, Mike, see. they're both called Mike. 
and they sort of look at Oscar films. So I think the Mission Impossible episode was kind of just a yeah, one yeah, okay. when they're not in the Oscar season, but yeah. Okay, yeah, they're also really engaging on Twitter, so I'd advise that people check them out. It's at MM and Oscar on Twitter. And while we're talking about Twitter, uh, why not give us a follow? At Film Trials, you can also suggest films for us to place on trial. We'll put them in the hat and we'll get around to doing them eventually. Uh, why not also give our friends and collaborators a follow as well? Austin Ray and Winston Sang, that's our very handsome music producer over here. And I thought you were going to say that's our very handsome uh, artist. And then something <laughs> else about me. Yeah, no, no. I realised last week I just kind of said our, our bald producer because <laughs> I couldn't think of anything else at the top of my feet. Okay, so uh, our, yeah, our, our music producer and our graphic artist respectively there at Aussie Ray and at the underscore quirks. Also, why not check us out on Facebook which is handled by our good friend Captain Dave and check us out on Instagram which is handled by Austin there. Also, as I've said before, why not check Check us out on YouTube. We should hopefully have some videos up and running in a few weeks. So just to thank everybody who's listened to this episode and all of our other episodes, you can catch out our future stuff on any podcast platform or on our website, www.filmsontrial. So that's it. Remy and Juliet was placed on trial and twas but a scratch. <laughs> you can catch us next week when we'll be in your ears with... Oh, I forgot to say. It's... Uh, Space Odyssey 2000. Space Jam. Oh, okay. Space Jam. 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 More our style, I think. So uh, we have picked the next film to be placed on trial out of the hat, and it is the seminal classic 2001 A Space Odyssey. We've also picked the roles out of the hat at random. In the role of defense, it's going to be Brucey. In the role of prosecution, is going to be my good self. In the role of judge, it's going to be Joe and character witnesses are going to be your good selves Austin and Dave so please check us out next week when a Space Odyssey will be on trial we'll be in your ears then until then goodbye Bye.